0: children, through the legacy that they will lead when we're all gone. And I'm so thankful for this past week at VBS and all of the teachers and helpers and everyone that helped out, all the adults. We had a ton of youth that helped out during Vacation Bible School, and I'm just so thankful for all the work that they did investing in that next generation. How many of you are ready to see the restoration happen in our lifetime? How many of you see, see God do something amazing among us? I am. I am today. Hey, but did you know that Newton's third law of physics, that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction? Are you, are you saying the uh, PowerPoint's not up there? Is it not there? Uh-oh. We might have to wing it this morning without PowerPoint. Can you all handle that? Y'all follow along, God's word with me? All right. And I'm sorry if it didn't load. I, I'm sorry about that. The, oh, here it is. Yeah. We got it. All right, so put Newton's third law up there. We're talking about facing opposition. Newton's third law of motion says for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. How many of you have ever proven that theory with your head? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you've done it. I've done it, too. I kicked a ball one time, hit the goalpost, and went, boom, right back at my head. Anybody ever had that happen to you? Yeah. I mean, Newton's third law, I mean, it applies to the physical world, but it doesn't just apply to the physical world. It also applies to the spiritual world for, for Christians. That anytime we move and we make motion for the for, with the full force of the kingdom behind us, the kingdom of Satan is opposed To that work. Now it won't always be that way. Somebody say amen. (laughs) Praise God. Because he is restoring all things. And in the restoration. The kingdom of Satan will end. And will no longer be a force. But I'm going to tell you something. Today, here, now, you, me. Whenever we decide we're going to make a kingdom difference. We're going to be like Nehemiah in our day. And we're going to be a force for the kingdom. We're going to be difference makers. When we decide to do that. We will face opposition. So that's your biblical truth this morning. When you become a difference maker, you will face opposition. Now, I want you to find your place there in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to focus in just on a couple of verses at the beginning. And then we'll fill out. We're going to take the, the flyover view This morning of chapters four, five, and six, can y'all handle that with me? You stay with me. We're going to do a little bit of turning of pages this morning, just so that we can take in the full context. So why don't you stand with me, Nehemiah chapter four, and we're just going to read the first few verses here. Nehemiah chapter four, verse one says, "Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry, and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews." And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building if a fox goes Up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now listen to verse 6. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Let's stop there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, dear Lord, for your covering that's upon us, Lord, whenever we step out in faith to do a work for your kingdom, Lord. You provide everything that we need, and Lord, you protect us by your might. So, Father, we ask for you to build our confidence today. For the one who's faint hearted today, for the one who's fearful today, for the one who has suffered opposition for the work that they're doing for you and your kingdom. We ask, Lord, for you to renew them today. Lord, for the one that does not know you today, I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would reach down, touch their heart, convict, convict them of their need for you. Lord, that they might turn, repent and be healed, be saved and be set apart for you and your kingdom. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Nehemiah and his friends, the Jews living in that land, rebuilding the wall, faced opposition from what seemed to be every side and at every turn as they began to build the wall. And throughout that process, opposition in the natural realm is aroused By the opposition of the spiritual realm. Remember, your battle is not against flesh and blood. Listen to what Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 6 verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When you face opposition in the good work that God has called you to do, the first thing that you need to do is consider the source. You've got to think about where it's coming from. Oftentimes, we want to lash out, lash back at someone who opposes us. But here's the thing. It's not that person that's opposing you. It's not that, that force that's opposing you. It's the, the spiritual realm that is against the good work of God. In your life, the enemy is alive and well, and he wants to tear you down. And this is exactly what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah looked through the taunts and the lies and the opposition of Sanballat and Tobiah, and he saw the spiritual force that was animating those two men and the others who were with them. Nehemiah saw through the physical natural opposition into the spiritual forces. And so there's opposition that comes from us. And when we think about it, there's opposition from several different angles. So we want to consider the source. Here's a first source Opposition to the work of God in your life is going to come from without, it's going to come from the enemies territory, because when you take a step of faith and you decide you're going to serve the Lord, you're encroaching on the enemy's territory. You know, when we had VBS this week and all those children were coming and all those adults were there working and helping and all of those teenagers were there, we were encroaching on the enemy's territory in the lives of these children. Because those children don't just represent bodies in a pew. They represent the future of the kingdom of God here in Myrtle Grove. That's what they represent. And so the enemy knows. And guess what? He was at work. He was trying his best to thwart the work of God here. And the same thing is true for you. Whenever you decide you're going to stay, take a step for the kingdom of God, the enemy is going to come up against you. He's at the gate. He's opposed to the work. Sam Ballad and Tobiah, listen, they were angry. Sometimes you wonder, why do people get so angry about stuff? Why does it make them mad that you're a Christian? Why are people so angry? Why do they hate us? What animates that? Well, listen, there is a spiritual force behind the opposition to God's Word. And so we're called to contend with it. That's what we do with opposition that comes from without, from the enemy's side. We contend with it. Look at verse 14 with me and, and what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah said, I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Listen, are you... Is the spiritual condition of your family something worth fighting for? Some of the men in this place, God is calling you to take a stand and say no and draw a hard line. And say, I will not allow that in my home. I will not allow that on my television. I will not allow that to come on, on the radio anymore. I'm going to take a stand right here and right now. And and more than that, not not am I I going to be opposed to those things. I'm going to welcome in the things of God into my home. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is your family worth fighting for? Men, contend with the opposition that comes from the evil one. Contend with it. Fight against it. Jude chapter, uh, well, Jude verse 3 says, Contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. James 4 and verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from from you. And so when we face opposition that comes from without, we contend with it. But secondly, we have opposition that comes from around us. And we're not talking about the other side. We're talking about people who should be on our side sometimes are opposed to the work of God. And we're called to confront that. Now look at what it says in verse uh, 10 again. It says, In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So there's some people there that you're you're picking up a stone and you're carrying the stone and you're placing the stone and there's some other folks over there having their third break of the day and it's 9 o'clock in the morning and they're saying, We're never going to get done. We can't do it. And these, are, these people are supposed to be helping. They're, they're residents of Judah. They're the ones who live right around the city. And they're supposed to be picking up the stones and carrying them with you. And all they have is nothing but ne- negativity. You remember what I said a couple weeks ago? If all you have is negativity, don't say anything at all. Don't say anything at all. But that opposition had to be confronted. And notice what it says also in verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. In other words, the the people that have not committed themselves to the work, everybody else is doing the work, but the other people are out there and they're just kind of watching the people of God do the work. And what they begin to say is, well, listen, those people, uh, the, the enemy is opposed to what you're doing. And it's not safe for you to be doing what you're doing. You just need to come on back home. Just come back home and we'll take care of you. We'll fix some apple pie and we'll sit down and we'll watch TV together. And so the people that are supposed to be doing the work and the people that are supposed to be on your side sometimes are opposed to the good work that you stand up to do. And sometimes whenever you take a stand, (laughs) the people that love you the most And that you love the most, sometimes they hurt you the most, don't they? Paul had the same thing happen to him. Paul was going about spreading the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere he went. He eventually gave his life in Rome for the sake of the gospel. But in the meantime, Paul had a couple of run-ins with some of the leaders in Jerusalem. And one of the leaders in Jerusalem came down came down, went north to Antioch, but came down to Antioch to the church in Antioch. And and when he got there, everybody was excited that he was there. His name was Peter. You know who Peter is, right? Cephas, one of the twelve. He showed up in Antioch and he and it was a great welcoming. He was received by the Christians there and they were all Gentiles and Peter welcomed them and and They sat down and they began to eat together and enjoy that God was doing a great work among them, enjoying fellowship and enjoying friendship with these people. But then some more Jews came up from Jerusalem or down from Jerusalem, depending on how you look at it. The Bible says down. They came down. And when those Jews arrived, Peter got up from the table and went and sat with the Jewish people. And Paul says... What are you doing, man? And so listen to what Paul says happened. What he did in Galatians 2 and verse 11. He says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. In other words, racism had no place in the church of God. And Paul said, I'm not going to let you go down that road, brother. And so he stood in... Peter's face and he said, no, you're not going to do that. And so when we we face this opposition from the people who are closest to us and they say, oh, we'll never get it done. Or they say, oh, no, it's too dangerous or we don't have enough resources or or maybe even they have this sinful uh, thing within their heart. And we see it and we're the closest one to them and they're opposing what we're doing. What is it? It's not. It's not time to contend with that person because they're a child of God. They're a believer. What is it? It's time to confront them lovingly and graciously and say, hey, no, we're not going to do that. But then Nehemiah also faces opposition from within. So there's opposition from without, the other side, the enemy. And then there's opposition from around him, the people that should be doing the work, that are the people of God who won't do it. They won't lift a finger for the work. And they're opposing him as he goes. He confronts them. But then you see there's opposition even from within Nehemiah. And there's, there's these, these things, these selfish desires within Nehemiah that he has to deal with. Look again at chapter 5 with me just for a second. The heading there says, Nehemiah stops oppression to the poor. And so what happens is there uh, he has to fight against those people that are, that are waging, um, levying uh, taxes and things like that on the people who are trying to do the work. And he has to stand up against them. And so Nehemiah could have been afraid, but instead he confronted them. In verse 6, I was very angry when I heard the outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. So Nehemiah, he he got bold about it and he had to deal with it. And then you see it toward the end of chapter 5. Nehemiah has the opportunity to levy taxes against the people himself, but instead he chooses not to so that the work can continue. And he had 150 people at his table that he was feeding every single day. But he didn't take a penny for it. Now, Nehemiah could have said selfishly that he would take that money from the people to feed these others, but he didn't. He took out of his own pocket to protect the, the work of God. So, so selfishness could have gotten in the way. It threatened to oppose the work of God. And sometimes our selfishness within us. I know it's hard for you. And, and listen, I did it this morning. My alarm went off at five o'clock in the morning It went, er, er, or whatever. And I went snooze. And, and, and maybe some of you did that this morning, too. And maybe that's why you missed Sunday school. I don't know. When we hit the snooze button too many times or we expect things from other people, we expect recognition from others when we do the work of God. Listen, that is opposed to the work of God. You know, the only way to really, truly serve is to lay yourself down just to crucify self. That's the only way to truly serve. You have to just lay self aside. You can't be thinking about yourself. And Nehemiah was willing to kill his own selfishness. And then you have pride and ego as well, because you look at the next thing that happens in chapter six. Remember, I said we're going to do the flyover? Look at verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hacephirim in the plain of Ono. Now, let just pause for just a second. This is some 30 miles away that Nehemiah's enemies, once they had been thwarted, they, they came together and they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call a summit together and we're going to be diplomatic about this. And we're trying to, going to try to get Nehemiah to come as a governor. And, and, and you know, we'll, we'll wine and dine Nehemiah. We'll, we'll take him to this plain of Ono, which is a real nice place. It's really close to the Mediterranean. Maybe even go down and see the Mediterranean a little bit, maybe while we're there. It's going to be real nice. You ought to come to this summit. Where all, all the leaders are coming together, Nehemiah, and you're one of us. Come and, come and eat with us. Come and sit with us. And come, and come and have a discussion with us. Because you're a great leader, Nehemiah. And here's Nehemiah's head going... <laughs> the ego and the pride welling up in Nehemiah could have been opposed, was opposed to the work of God. And Nehemiah could have allowed it to stop him. But listen to what what Nehemiah's response is. He says, but they intended to do me harm. Verse 3 of chapter 6, it says, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should, the, why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? What Nehemiah realized is it wasn't, it wasn't a, a symbol of status to go and, and meet with these guys. He recognized who, exactly who they were. That they were the enemy. And for him to sit down with them was to take him away from the good thing that God had called him to do. Listen, pride is your enemy. And you better be killing pride or pride will be killing you. Nehemiah fought against his pride. He recognized that these were not his friends and that his leadership was not a popularity contest. That he had been appointed by God for a task. Now, Nehemiah had found himself way down, way down low, afraid several times. And when you're down, you've got to stay hopeful. But when you're up, you've got to stay humble. And you got to realize you didn't get there on your own. You got there because the Lord put you there. Philippians 1.28 says, "And Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And what happened after this point, whenever, whenever Nehemiah said, No, 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 I'm not coming to, to the summit with you guys. They continued to send letters and said, Well, you're in rebellion against the king." You're a rebellion and and you're in rebellion. You're a rebel and they're going to come and get you and we're going to come up against you. And they even sent prophets, false prophets to Nehemiah to try to make him afraid and say, they're coming after you tonight. That was what the prophets told them. Come hide with us back here in the in the back part of the temple. Come hide. And Nehemiah said, no, I'm not going to hide. Nehemiah refused to be afraid. Fear is opposed to the work of God. Your pride is opposed to the work of God. Your selfish desires are opposed to the work of God. And so, in all of these things, what do you have to do? You've got to kill those inward, the inward opposition to the work of God. And so, consider the source, decide what you've got to do. And we're going to move quickly through the next couple of points. The second point. Call on the Savior. When you face opposition, call on the Savior. Look at verses 4 through 9 again with me. This is what Nehemiah does. He's, he, he stops right as soon as he finds out that his enemies are against him. Verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. He goes to the Lord in prayer. We see Nehemiah re- running to the prayer closet at every turn. I want to ask you. Is prayer your last resort? Or is it your first priority? Where do you go? Look at verses one 4-11 uh, through 11 of chapter 1. You see Nehemiah's prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. It's reminding God of all of His promises to His people and asking God to intervene. I wonder, do you make those kinds of prayers on a daily basis? Or do you sit and watch... Fox News and just put your head in your hands and say, oh, woe is us. Make prayer the priority. And then in chapter two, you see Nehemiah again, whenever he goes before the king, before he opens his mouth and he says anything, he says in chapter, uh, chapter two, verse four, so I prayed to the God of heaven before he asked the king for resources to do the work. And then in chapter four and verse nine, you see him again. Hear, O our God, asking the Lord. Yesterday, our, our ver- verse of the day, I don't know if you've got the U Version app, you do the verse of the day. Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run- man runs into it and is safe. In Jeremiah 33, verse 3, God promises to His children, Call to Me and I will answer. The next time, That you feel the opposition against the work of God. Make prayer the priority. Stop right then and there and call on the name above every name. The God of heaven and ask for His intervention right then and there in your life. And I promise you what will happen is God will send legions of angels to help you. And nothing, nothing will be able to stand against you. Amen. And so... Consider the source. Call on the Savior. Thirdly, commit to the struggle. And I, I listen, I know I struggled with this point myself. And I said, well, but wait a minute. Isn't it all victory in Jesus? Yeah, it is all victory in Jesus. But if there, the only way that there is a victory is if there's a battle. Amen. We're going to go through the battle on the way to victory. And you got to commit in that struggle. Commit to struggling on behalf of the king of kings. Listen, don't back down when the opposition comes. You've got to continue. you got to go on. It seemed like opposition was coming from every side. The task was too difficult in verse 10. The enemy was too strong in verse 11. The cost was too great in verse 12. But here's Nehemiah's response in verse 13. Listen to what he says. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans. What's Nehemiah doing? He's he's helping them remember that they're not alone in the struggle. He stationed them by their clans. He said, we're going to put put your clan over here. We'll put that, that clan next to you. And then we're going to put that clan next to you. And you guys are going to work here. You guys are going to work there. And you guys are going to work there. And so as they looked to the left and they looked to the right, they saw the people of God contending together for the work. There's no opposition strong enough to defeat us when we are united together as God's people. When we commit to the struggle together and we say, listen, our church may be going through a difficult time right now. We may be suffering. We may be going through a difficult time economically, whatever it may be. But we're going to come together and we're going to commit together in the struggle. And we're not going to give up. And not only that, in verse 14, listen to what he said. He stationed the people with their swords and their spears and their bows. And in verse 14, I looked and arose and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He encouraged them to remember how big their God is. When you're in the middle of the struggle, it's easy to focus. On how great the opposition is. And take your focus off of how great your God is. And so we have to be reminded. we got to remind ourselves. we got to go to His Word. we got to remember His deeds of old and all the things that He did. we got to get some grit. we got to listen to what the Word says. Gird your loins. Grow a backbone. Quit yourselves like men, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.13. Nobody told you that the Christian life would be easy. If they did, they were lying. It's not sunshine and rainbows and skittles. Jacob confronted his father-in-law Laban, and later he had to confront Esau. Opposition. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And then Potiphar threw him into prison. Moses was opposed by Janus and Jambres. And then also a whole tribe of, of Israelites, a whole clan of Israelites coming up against him. Joshua and Caleb were opposed by ten spies who brought back a bad report. Daniel was opposed by the princes of Babylon who wanted his position. And he was thrown in the lion's den. Nehemiah and Ezra were opposed by Sambalad and Tobiah and a whole host of Samaritans. And as we consider all of them, the writer of Hebrews tells us this. Consider him. Who endured from sinners such hostility against himself? Who's him? Somebody say it. You're in church, you can say his name. Jesus. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Have you committed to the struggle? He said it, 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 it's going to get rough, but we're going to make it. Amen. Don't grow faint-hearted. lastly, continue standing. You got to keep standing. look at verse 13 again with me. So in the lowest part of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people. I stationed them, he put them where he wanted them. They set a watch and a patrol and they took their stand and they guarded night and day. And then look at verse 15 again. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Amen. They got on with it. They recognized that they weren't there to play, to relax or recreate, that this was the last line of defense against the onslaught of the evil in the world around them. And then toward the end, verse 19, Nehemiah says to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And so he says in verse 21, so we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. You think about that. You're standing guard. You're standing watch with your spear in your hand. Your armor about you. Your shield in the other hand. And you're standing guard, standing watch from early in the morning until the stars come out at night and you don't back down. Think about that. What a picture of the Christian taking his stand. As a Christian, you can never let your guard down. And listen to what the next thing he says. I find it kind of comical. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. We were talking this morning about our VBS shirts. Wondering how many of us actually went home and washed our shirts. Because some of us can smell ourselves. And I think about these guys. It's starting to get a little stinky up in Jerusalem. Because they hadn't been home to take a bath. But why not? Because it wasn't time to let your guard down. And Listen, we're in the middle of a battle right now, folks. God is restoring what the enemy has tried to tear down. And we don't have time to relax. We don't have time to put our guard down. We have to stay vigilant in prayer. We've got to stay filled with His Word. We've got to stay in step with the Spirit all the way. We cannot stop. We can't let our guard down. We've got to take our stand. And we've got to continue standing until He comes. Amen. The cost is too great. Romans 5, 3 through 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. How many of you love that word? That's your favorite word. Endurance. How many of you love the word patience? Because that's another way that this word is translated. You like that word? No. We don't like that word. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The the longer we stand, the more hopeful, the more work we see accomplished around us, the more we see God moving and we know He's near. We know He's coming and our hope grows because we've waited for Him. And then He comes and He shows up and we see our God working in a mighty way. If we give up before He comes, guess what? He'll find us sleeping and He won't have nice words to say. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a big if, isn't it? Is God for us? He surely is. Isaiah 54 verse 17, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Are you His servant today? That's your heritage. And their vindication from me, declares the Lord. And whenever 52 days had come, and that wall was finished, those servants of the Lord stood on top of that wall and they blew the trumpets and they worshiped their God. And they said, look at what our God has done. The gates of hell shall not prevail and we are more than conquerors in Christ. Amen. I want to read to you from the biography of John Patton. John Patton's life was molded by his childhood in a little cottage in Kirkamaho, Scotland. The cottage had ribs of oak, stone walls, and a thatched roof. Three rooms were filled with 11 children. The front room served as a bedroom kitchen and parlor. The rear room was his father's stocking-making shop. The middle room was a closet where John's father retired each day for prayer and Bible study. The sound of his father's prayers through the wall made a powerful impression on young John. Years later, when Scotland's Reformed Church issued a plea for missionaries for the South Pacific, John went to his parents for advice. They told him something they had never before disclosed. That he had been dedicated to foreign missions before his birth. John sailed from Scotland April 16, 1858, landing on the islands in November He found himself among cannibals, endangered again and again. They encircled us in a deadly ring, he wrote, of one of the incidences. And one kept urging another to strike the first blow. My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that my life was immortal till my master's work with me was done. Amen. My life was immortal till my master's work with me was done. The turning point came when Patton decided to dig a well to provide fresh water for the people. The islanders, terrified at bringing rain from below, watched with deep, deepest foreboding. Patton dug deeper and deeper until finally at 30 feet he tapped into a stream of water. Opposition to his mission were ceased. And the wide-eyed islanders gave him their full respect. Chief Mamakee accepted Christ as Savior. Then a few others made the daring step. On October 24, 1869, nearly 11 years after his arrival. You hear that? 11 years after his arrival, Patton led his first communion service at church. Twelve converted cannibals partook in the Lord's Supper. And this is what he said, As I put the bread and wine into those hands, once stained with blood of cannibalism, now stretched out to receive and partake the emblems of the Redeemer's love, I had a foretaste of the joy of glory that well nigh broke my heart to pieces. I wonder, have you faced opposition like Nehemiah and the builders of the wall and the work that God has called you to do. If you've not faced opposition, let me tell you this you're not serving the Lord. But the moment that you choose to ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you of your sins, the one who died, was buried, and was raised again, the moment that you choose Him, you gain an enemy on the other side who is opposed to you. And not only that, the sinful nature that lives in you is opposed to the work that He's called you to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Today the Lord Jesus is calling you that if you don't know Him, He's calling you To take a step of faith. And to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who ultimately will win the victory forevermore. Whenever he comes again and he puts the evil forces in chains. And you're going to stand before him one day. But he's calling you today to trust him. To save you. To make you his own. And that good work that God wants to do in your life is being opposed right now by your own will and your own selfish desires and the sin that lives within you. And what you have to do right now is say, no, I will receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Say no to that sin. Say no to those selfish desires. Kill them. Put them aside. And then turn and look at Jesus and say, Yes to him. Can you do that? If you would do that, I want to lead you in a prayer. And it's a simple prayer, but this is your turning from sin and turning to Jesus. Say, Dear Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've done things I know are wrong, and I've failed to do things that I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for those sins. But Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you were raised again on the third day and that you're alive and you are my Lord. So Jesus, come into my heart. Save me from my sins. Forgive me, Lord. Make me a new person. Give me a home in heaven with you. And Jesus. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for my salvation. In your name I pray. Amen. Now would you stand with me? This is our invitation. This is your opportunity to respond to the Lord's work in your life if you've just prayed that prayer what the Lord wants for you is to share that and what the enemy would have you to do is to go home and say nothing to anyone about it but what he wants you to do right now what the Lord wants you to do right now is to come and let us know so we can rejoice with you so we can offer you believers baptism so we can give you resources so you can grow so this is your opportunity let it be known what God has done for you today in this place. And if you're looking for a church home, we welcome you. I know there's many guests here today. and Many of you have been here many times that you know the Lord has called you to join in the work of God here at Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. This is your opportunity to come and say, yes, I'm going to link arms with the people of Myrtle Grove Baptist Church as one of them to serve the Lord among them. And if you need prayer, our altar counselors will be here to pray for You, you come. Let us sing together. Lord, I need you.